There don't seem to be as many big personalities in advertising as there were in previous generations. Think Ogilvy, think Burnett, think Bernbach. It's something that David Droga, himself no shrinking violet, says he thinks a lot about, and it bugs him. He's certainly doing his share to shake things up, though. The industry's collective mind was blown when it was announced earlier this year that Drogo would be selling his namesake agency, Droga 5, to Accenture Interactive. The consultants are coming for the creatives, the narrative went. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, and you're listening to AdLib. I sat down with David Droga last week in New Orleans at our annual small agency conference. Droga famously started his shop as a two-man operation in 2006 around a dining room table. Today, it has 600 employees on both sides of the Atlantic. Here, Droga discusses the three-year journey towards acquisition and what comes next for the agency. David Droga, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Pleasure. Um, So, uh, any news in your world? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think everyone, you know, I think that... The big news of uh, a few months ago has sort of died down now, and now yeah. it's back to just actually proving out the model and working hard. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of relieved about that. Are you in any pitches at the moment? We're in a lot of pitches. Yeah. Did you have to put a pin in that while the deal was going through? Yeah, I think there was a the first start of the year just because there was so much going on and there was so much due diligence and all that sort of stuff. And it's also just a distraction right. while you're actually going through that, which is, you know, it's not a normal experience that we're used to. Right. I think it might have, you know, made us sideline our natural momentum, which is kind of back now already. Right. Which so, is great. Um, yeah, and you were, you were not allowed to talk about it while yeah, it was Yeah, it was a weird thing. It was yeah. a very weird thing. And you like to talk. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So I was like, um, So... The question for you is Accenture obviously is very big. You have about 600 employees, yeah. uh, both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah. Accenture has 459,000 employees. Yeah. Yeah. They're more likely to change you than you are to change them. Is that fair to say? Or is that well, it, something that you think about? Well, I, th- I thought a lot about it even pre the deal. And I think there's so many dimensions to that because A, it was such a slow and long courting period of about three years. Oh, really? You know, we just talked and you know there was no urgency to do anything there was no necessity to do anything mm-hmm. and we spent more time talking about how to retain our cultures because mm-hmm. they have a, you know they, they have their own culture as well uh, what the shared ambitions were and, and how I was you know we were nervous about exactly the question you asked but I, th- I think they realize who we are, and that doesn't mean we're some precious little flower that's dainty. You know, we're quite a ferocious and uh, thick-skinned entity. That's probably half of our success comes from that. But I think you know we sort of agreed on certain things in the in in the deals that also do protect mm-hmm. us and stuff like that. But we are looking to grow. You know, we are looking to grow and influence. That's not necessarily I'm looking. I'm not looking to have 50 offices and da da da. But it would be. A, I don't think they would. Destroys. It's not going to be like a mice and men where they, you know, right. he pets Lenny, Lenny. Pets, the, <laughs> pets the thing to death because he loves it so much. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you would think they wanted to acquire you, so it wouldn't make sense for them to change you because they wanted you for the way no. you were, right? So, but what did you learn anything from? Because about five years ago, you sold a minority stake to, yep. to WME. Now it's Endeavor. Did you learn anything from that experience, or did you take anything away from that that informed you as you were making this decision? Well. Probably indirectly. I mean, they're, they're very different companies with different uh, ambitions, both forces of nature in their own way. I think the, 
the, the thing with Accenture was, which was, we might have mentioned this in some of the PR before, but it was, I first came across them in the most unlikely place where we did a joint pitch uh-huh. for a big government piece of business. So I saw them in their natural environment and they saw us in our natural environment without any sort of strings attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I got to see how they were presenting and the ideas and the thinking and the, the infrastructure they bring. And I was kind of blown away. It was kind of very much like a revelation to me that this side of the industry and the customer journey and all that sort of stuff exists and is imperative mm-hmm. alongside with our narrative storytelling strategy. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. These are really smart people mm-hmm. and they're not in conflict with what we're doing. And that was the precipice for when we started to talk. I was like, it wasn't even, oh, we should come together and do it. It was like, we should do more stuff together. That's really where Mm -hmm. the conversation came between Brian and I. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot. And as I said, there was no urgency or desperation. Sometimes we wouldn't talk for for six months or something, but there was always this ongoing conversation. But it's on their interest to destroy us. Right. And they haven't bought us to collect EBITDA and revenue. I mean, they're such a juggernaut themselves. Right, it's probably a parking ticket for them. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. hopefully more than that, but yeah. But it's like, that, but definitely, I mean, but we look at, but I'm not looking at it as in, leave us alone, we just want to stay the same. I'm doing it because I want to have greater impact. I want to embrace this side of it. I, I'm, maybe it's I'm a greedy creative, but I want to be more relevant and this should allow it. So what, um, aside from scale, what are they, what are you gaining from them? Uh, what is the well, their depth and their skill set is second to, second to none. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, not just the largest digital agency, but, you know, they don't do digital appreciation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do real digital immersion. They can really build systems. Mm-hmm. They can run systems. They have the ear of CEOs and CTOs that no agencies have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our thing, it's, we're, we're trying to build a, a uni- united or unified brand experience, mm-hmm. not have it as separate things. So it's the stuff under the hood, behind the scenes. Everything. Like, system. you know, if, if I'm doing the most incredible stuff for a client that is creating a lot of momentum and energy, but the system around it doesn't work or the, you know, the online experience or the retail experience, you know, like it's all for naught, right? Mm. So I just feel like if, if they're connected and they, you know, they do some pretty unbelievable stuff. And I guess everybody was sort of slightly intimidated in the beginning. Those didn't know it. But when you look under the hood and actually get into the work that they do, mm-hmm and that they can make, and they can make stuff that we could never even dream of making. Like what? Like- well, they could make, I mean, they just, they make, they're making a medical device that's gonna fix heart operations. Mm-hmm. You know, they do the special effects for Game of Thrones. They mm-hmm. can create systems for carnival cruises where they'll build things that revolutionize the whole ticketing and customer experience and little medallions. Like the sort of stuff that we could tell a great story about or try to do. Mm-hmm. But imagine, imagine being able to take our thinking and our ideas and our ambition, but having 10,000 coders and engineers that can actually build it. Mm-hmm. Did you, when you said people were intimidated, do you mean your people or the industry? Or? Our people, those that weren't closest to it, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of people in our agency, you know, relish in our independence. Right. And those who don't know, we're thinking, oh, are we just being acquired and we're just going to be rolled up into something? Mm-hmm. And that's not who we are. In this. Those that are, closer to it or once they were exposed to it, realized like, actually, this is gonna, this is gonna create even more opportunity. This is gonna give us a three-dimensional canvas. Yeah. Did you lose anyone? Did anyone walk? We haven't lost anyone because of that. I mean, you know, look, our people are always the most poachable in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, but the only thing that gives me any solace in that is, you know, agencies have to pay them double for them to leave. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that'd be crazy. 
to leave because you know if, if someone told me now you you can have a, a, a coloring coloring pencils where we can add 50 different new colors to it and you were an artist wouldn't you try and mm-hmm. see what you can do with that yeah well uh, I'm sure you heard a lot of the you know this is a gossipy industry people like to <laughs> yes, of course. people like to talk um, uh, what how do you how do you talk to people or think about when you hear people saying, well, you're looking for an exit or you were just selling out. And uh, well, if I was Do you looking, care about that? I, I don't give a shit about yeah. that, actually, because the people who know me know, you know, mm-hmm. if I was looking for an exit, I would have sold mm-hmm. years ago. I'm not a retiring type of person. Mm-hmm. I don't hide from the fact that I was looking for upping the challenge of us, mm-hmm. you know, because we're in an etch-a-sketch industry, right? You could have, we've had unprecedented, you know, years of success. But at the start of the every year, that goes back to shh, shh, clear and slate again. And I'm like, I, I'm not, I don't want to be repeating myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I want there to be greater challenges. And so, I mean, people will always, it is a very gossipy industry. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, the two ends of the spectrum were, A, uh, it's the death of creativity. Right. Or B, it's the future of the industry. Right. Do you know what I mean? So how do you, what do my, you, okay, go ahead. All, my, my, all I can do, and the only thing I can impact is to try and prove the latter, that's mm-hmm. all I can try. I mean, I believe it. Right. I believe that, but I, it's only real if I prove it, but I'm not afraid to try and prove it. There are a lot of agencies, older agencies, or even current agencies that are just so tied up with the founder's identity, yeah. and yours is one of them. Yeah. Um, how do you put stuff in place so that Droga5 remains Droga5 after Droga's no longer there? Well, this is one of the ways, and that's not saying that I'm going, but this certainly is one of the ways because right. it, it means the agency will be known for more than just, uh, you know, the founder's name. Mm-hmm. I'm also very fortunate. I have some pretty spectacular mm-hmm. partners and, uh, you know, up-and-coming creative leaders there already. But, you know, I, I, want, I don't want I wouldn't, when it does come time for me to go, mm-hmm. I'm not one of those founders who's like, oh, I hope it burns to the ground as I'm gone. <laughs> it's sort of, I'm the exact opposite. I'm, you know, I've sort of done so much of what I wanted to do in the industry. Mm-hmm. So to stay in the industry, I, I have to sort of, feel more challenges and, and, and bigger canvases. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the, the five in Droga 5, as the story goes, you're yeah, the, yeah. the, the fifth uh, boy? Fifth boy, yeah. Um, s- with two sisters as well, yeah. Yeah. What Do you ever think about what influence the birth order has on you as a creative or as a, as a person? I don't think about it a lot, but I'm sure it does. By the way, that's an also another answer to you. How do I, I need to hire someone called Five. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, definitely, I think as the youngest boy, lowest on the totem pole, I feel like my competitiveness, wanting to prove myself has definitely come from that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I feel like, I, not just where I grew up, but the ranking I grew up, I feel like, yeah, I think I was always looking up to my brothers, always trying to prove my worth. Uh, Creativity probably also came from not only where I grew up in, the, in a national park, but also from the fact that my whole life was hand-me-downs and second-rate shit. Mm-hmm. So I'd always have to try and re-engineer it to make it relevant to me and more interesting. Yeah, make it yours. Yeah. Um, what, are, what do one through four do? Uh, that's a good question. Okay, one is a merchant banker. Number two runs uh, one of the largest head funds in uh, Australasia. Number three runs a huge hedge fund. Uh-huh. Number four is a sculptor, uh-huh. myself. My sister runs a non-for-profit that raises money for um, single mothers in India. And my younger sister uh, works in publishing. 
So Motley Crue, successful family, like a lot of it's kind both of creative like, and well. I think that's the yeah. thing, right? It's yeah. a bit of both. I don't think that probably comes back from my father was a hardcore businessman. My mother is a poet, an artist, environmentalist. It's sort of there's a hybrid of that. Mm-hmm. Um, are they? They're still around. My mother is. My father isn't. So yeah. Um, so you, um, 2018 was a was a challenging year for you guys. Mm. Uh, you spoke about it with us. You, yeah, were, yeah. you guys were named. Uh, Creative Agency of the Year yes. by us, but um, you know, prior to Accenture, you, were, you had uh, your New York Chief Creative Officer Ted Royer mm. was accused of misconduct. You guys parted ways. Um, you guys parted ways with Pizza Hut, Ancestry. There was a first year of revenue decline. Mm. How do you come out of that? Well, we did come out of it, and it was an interesting year because it was such a year. It was a traumatic year, and but it was a year of two halves because the first half of the year didn't see coming and that sort of rocked us massively because we'd had 12 years of 30% growth, unprecedented. But we'd also grown so fast that we were always worried that we'd take on some accounts that would just really didn't want to do what we were about. So there was, you know, and I think the, the, the TED thing was very, very emotionally um, uh, gutting for the agency. You know, he was, he was also, you know, a long-time friend of mine and things like that. And we, you know, we, we had to deal with it and were very professional about it. And it was, you know, very unfortunate. And I, you know, very hard, very emotional. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think we sort of got through it. And I was very fortunate that there's a, there's a very, very strong culture mm-hmm. in, the, in the company. Um, the business-wise, it was a weird one. There was a sort of a necessary course correction that, you know, obviously our finance director was pulling his hair out and, you know, the start of the year, we, we actually had to let people go for the first time in our history, which that was devastating because I always prided myself on the fact that we would never done that before. But then, you know, as I'd like to think good companies and, and, and uh, great cultures do, they rally and they come together. And it, ironically, you know, the second half of the year was spectacular. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, I think we won nine pitches in a row. Mm-hmm. You did work for IHOP, for New York Times. New York Times, uh, Tourism Australia, mm-hmm. but we won lots of new business. And I think that's the testament to the sort of the, the, the culture of the company is our work wasn't impacted at all. In fact, you could argue last, well, you gave us agency of the year mm-hmm. for creativity. It was one of our best, well, I'd like to think every year is every great year. Every year is the best. <laughs> every year is the best. So, you know, I mean, so it was one of those things where no one enjoyed it, and as, as friends of my industry, in the industries, you know, I said to them in the midst of all that chaos and emotional, I was like, you know, this is terrible, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, are you kidding? Yeah. They're like, you're going through something that every agency goes through every two years. You, this is just the first time you've ever had to endure it. But in my head, I'm like, well, we don't deserve it. Right. <laughs> what, what, what role does ego play for you? You have a reputation for being confident. I have a confident, well, well, I have a, I'd like to think that I have a, a very healthy balance between massive ego and massive insecurity. Uh-huh. So the ego, like I really do believe we can do great things and we have an exceptional group of people and talented people. And my insecurity is the thing that makes us like work harder and think like, well, what if we're not? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like as long as you have that balance, right. then you can do stuff with it. But yeah, I feel like you've got to, you've got to earn your confidence and I'm insecure enough to sort of realize how fragile that is. And, but all I care about is the work we put out and how we treat our people. Yeah. So during that troublesome year in 2018, yeah. or the first half of the year, you were already in talks with Accenture at that point? Or? We'd already been talking to them before that, actually. Yeah. 
you know, again, nothing had been formalized. It had been very, from, from that very first pitch together, you know, yeah. Brian had taken me out for, for dinner and we talked about it. And it was, we were tippy-toeing around it and into it. Do you know what I mean? Yep. In fact, during that um, turbulent six months, I actually said to him then, I said, I don't want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I said, there's no way I'm going to talk to somebody when we're on, on the back foot. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, that's just not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I said, that's not who we are. You I don't said, want to yeah, negotiate from a position. No, I said, that's yes. not who we are. I said, you know, I know who we are. And, you know, maybe we can talk again when we get our mojo back or confidence back. But up until then, put it on pause. Right. Um, and then I got to ask you this, you know, have, I'm sure, guessing sure. you're not going to answer, but, but our data center has calculated that Accenture paid $475 million. Can you, any way you can confirm that? You blink twice? I can actually <laughs> tell you that's not true. It's not true. All I'll say is north. North of that. Wow. Congratulations. Did you buy yourself anything nice? No, I didn't actually. I mean, I think that, do you know, it's funny. It's one of those things, I think people assume Mm -hmm. that, oh, I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate for a long period of time, so yeah. I kind of have everything I want kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But as I said to my kids, you know, uh, money makes people more interested in you. It doesn't make you more interesting. Yeah, that's true. How, how, are, how you have four kids. Right? Yeah. Um, how have they been through this process? They're teenagers. Any, as a father, how do you look at these decisions you're making? Well, the, the only conversations we've had about that has been about, I mean, I think they were just worried that I wasn't the, the, my boss of my own company anymore, or what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that there was no, I mean, we, we never talked terms or financial stuff mm -hmm. or anything like that. I mean, you know, they're oblivious to most stuff parents do as, as kids are, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that they, they just wanted to know that I was, um, Happy and that I felt I made the right decision. Yeah. And you do clearly feel that you did. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I like. I feel there's no certainty in anything. Yeah. But going back to that comments, I absolutely feel confident in this decision and this this partnership. I feel like really good people, really smart people. They they need us and we need them when in, the, when for the, this new world. When does it start? Showing up in the work. When does it? When do you? When do we start? I, I you know, that well, that's well, that's the type of person I am. I always, I want to cut through the sort of like the promises or the platitudes and get to like, let's just prove this out. And you know, that obviously the next twelve months is where, hopefully, you can see this stuff. You know, and it's not going to suddenly be like a, one eighty where we, not doing, the drogify work, that's you know, well known. It's it's that and is what I'm looking to do. And you know, there, there's definitely, we've got phenomenal momentum, momentum right now anyway, just on the back of focusing on our business again. Mm -hmm. I think we've got, I sent an email yesterday, our COO sent an email yesterday, we've got 50 open hires right now. You know, so it's, there's great opportunities, but the one good thing is there are certain things that we could never have pitched for before. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain global pieces of business that we could never have pitched for. Can you talk about any of those? I can't. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. But, you know, if we win them, you'll be first to hear. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Um, so we're, at the, we're recording this at the small agency conference yeah. that we put on every year. It's our 10th anniversary. You started as a small agency. Yep. You are no longer a small agency. Yep. What, um, do you have tips for small agencies or navigating that growth? Well, as, as I said this morning in my, my little... Ramble. I was saying, you know, I think the thing is, 
they forget there is great power in being small and obviously no one wants to stay small, but you have the tenacity and the craziness to do what you think is right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's so many, the bigger agencies get, there are more responsible, smart people put in place to stop you doing yeah. great things. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. A lot of agencies are just responsibly wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they realize that they can leapfrog. And also now because the options of what constitutes, what grabs clients' attention isn't necessarily based on having 50 offices or um, biggest budgets. It could be about a specializing in different di disciplines. It could be, you know, you could become the best social agency in the country, mm -hmm. you could become. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I say this from my side of the table, you know, creativity and strategy is never going out of style, ever. Mm -hmm. It, shifts, it sh um, shape shifts, but it's never going out of style. When you say shape shifts, I, my mind goes to data. How big of a, what do you, data has really drastically changed the way the business is run since, since you started it. How do you think about data's impact on creativity? Obviously, everyone says it informs creativity, but does well, it? Well, look, I'm, I, I'm not intimidated by it. I, you know, I, I don't want data to write my mm -hmm. things, but if we're explorers, you know, I want to do it with maps and compasses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like that's our job, right? Yeah. And I, the more we know, the more we can choose to ignore it or do something with it, mm -hmm. but going in blind to something. So it's, people want me to be as a, as a classic, creative want me to be anti-technology, anti-data, and I'm not, I'm like, I'm greedy, I'm, bring it on. Yeah. If, as long as, it, again, it's, it's, I'm not trying to pretend to do something that I'm not good at, but if it can help, and I've got a lot of smart people who can interpret it and, you know, understand it and, you know, make something of it, and that's, and translate it for me. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. um, What's your, the biggest mistake you've made? Uh, well, I've, I've certainly made lots and, you know, I'm very thankful I don't have a great rear vision mirror. <laughs> but I think the biggest mistakes you make is you assume that the culture touches everybody and that everybody is having the same experience you're having. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think as you're smaller, you have that opportunity. But when you get to be a big agency, you just make assumptions that everybody is on the same. Culture is so hard to get right. It is, and it, you know, it's, if you do it sincerely, you can, fi you can fix mistakes and you can address problems and you can, but culture, it, that gets you through anything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That and great work. Mm -hmm. what, what is it about being Australian, do you think, that uh, has influenced how you create? I think, I, I tell you what, I think in being an Australian is a little bit of a advantage at least in, in this market, because I feel like Australians, uh, I'd like that this is now cocky. I think that we're more li we're likable bunch. Oh, absolutely. I think that we're very open mm -hmm. to, we don't come from a place of thinking we know better. Mm -hmm. You know, so we sort of fit well in sort of, you know, Europe and we fit well in America. I think that our accents make us sound more charming than we are and hopefully <laughs> there's enough intelligence behind there to justify it. Mm -hmm. And we're a competitive bunch because I think we are, what are we, 0.03% of the world's population. Mm -hmm. So we like to punch above our weight. Right. And you know, we're sort of, and we're, because we're gypsy travelers, we sort of uh, are not afraid to go and explore and, and you know, we don't have to make it uh, just in our hometown. Uh, who's an Australian that you wish were more famous in the US, other than like 
Yahoo serious now. <laughs> wow, that is a hilarious reference point. Um, an Australian that I wish was more famous. That, 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 well, that people knew more about. Uh, great, I mean, maybe people do know him. If they don't know him, I think he's amazing. He's a, a musician, a comedian, a guy called Tim Minchin. Oh, he's hilarious, hilarious. He's uh, like amazing. Like yeah. I'm always shocked that more people don't know him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people I respect know him, yeah. but there's always, you know, people, I'll, I'll mention his name in a minute, people are like, oh, who's that? I'm like, what? Yeah. The amount of video clips I've sent of him forward to other people. Yeah, the, what was it, the feminism in three acts or something like oh, that in the song? I mean, he's right. just really good. It's been a while. I haven't, haven't, I'm going to go. Yeah, when we wrap this up, I'm going to watch Clever and obviously very talented and, yeah. you know, and not afraid to, and I also, you know, follow him on Twitter as well. He's also not afraid to say what he really thinks about important things. Well, same as you. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap this up? I know you have a flight to catch. No, I mean, you know, thanks for asking me to do it. As I, you know, as I said on the podium today, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's very healthy for me personally and it fills me up as well to be able to come to something like this because it reminds me, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, we get so caught up in the momentum of who we are or our successes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you forget, like, you know, we were all, I started as a small agency with the same paranoias and, you know. Different time, though. Different, definitely a different time and pros and cons with the time. Mm-hmm. But great thinkers who bring a point of view and something different to the table is never going to go out of style. Right. And you can be based in Memphis or Boise, Idaho or New York and it, you know, clients will find it out. Right. I met someone from Boise here. Apparently it's a lovely place to be. Do you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so weird. I don't know why. There's no logical reason. But every time I ever make a, have a conversation, I always use Boise as, as a random exam, as a random like yeah. I like I don't know why yeah and there's actually a guy in my office who says why do you say Boise I'm like <laughs> I had no idea it's I mean it's fun to say yeah uh, all right Dave well thanks very much I appreciate it pleasure it thank you very much fun. good luck with the rest of the conference thanks many many thanks to David Droga for joining me today he is of course the Droga in Droga 5 I'm Brian Breaker editor of Ad Age and you have been listening to Ad Lib produced by Max Sternlicht. Be sure to check us out at adage.com. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to give us lots of stars. And more importantly, tell a friend to listen. See you next week.